Our scripture this morning is found in the books of Matthew and 1 Timothy. Let us continue standing and remember that this is God's word. Matthew 1, 18 to 23. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary and Joseph, had promised to get married. But before they started to live together, it became clear that she was going to have a baby. She became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, was faithful to the law, but he did not want to put her to shame in public. So he planned to divorce her quietly. But as Joseph was thinking about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. The baby inside her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to have a son. You must give him the name Jesus. That is because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to bring about what the Lord had said would happen. He had said through the prophet, the virgin is going to have a baby. She will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. And then in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writes, here is a saying that you can trust. It should be accepted completely. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I, the worst sinner of all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Merry Christmas to you all. What a great morning to come together to church. Uh, I've loved it. Uh, Where's Jeremy? Did did we lose him already? I wondered, Jeremy, where did you round up that bass player? Uh, Where where did he come from? That's Jeremy's dad who was up there playing bass, in case you didn't know. And I, I don't think you let him play as much as we'd like to hear him play. Um, then we had uh, our organist play, uh, playing accordion. We had Jerome. Uh, Jerome, where are you? He has been, uh, he's our person working with outreach t- today. And I, I didn't know you could also play percussion. This, this is great. I'm trying to think who else was up here. Who, who was that Appalachian mandolin player? That, that's, who I, that's what I'm wondering. He had to have had some hill blood in him somehow. That's my son, Brandon, who is here. Brandon is so... I'm just telling you, you've gotten better. He hates it when I do this. He just hates it when I do it. Better, better at that mandolin. Next time, we'll bring the banjo out, too. And I think most of you know my, my whole family is here this morning. Uh, my daughter, Heather, is right down here. My son-in-law, Michael, is down here. Uh, my daughter-in-law, Kelsey, is beside the uh, mandolin player right there. He met her here. That happens at Lake Avenue Church. And my in-laws, I guess we're in-laws, aren't we? Ruth and John are right next to them. Then we have the world's greatest grandchildren, and I'm very objective about that. My uh, granddaughter, Riley, who is eight and three quarters is the way I added it up, Riley. And then Noel, who is seven, just turned Noel. We sang her song, this first Noel today. She comes alive on that one. And over here is Brooks sitting next to it. Right there is Brooks. You took off your black sport coat. Looked so sharp coming in today. 
But I'm just so glad that all of you have taken the time to come on Christmas morning to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I, I don't know why it is that American Christians think you don't go to church on Christmas morning. Every the rest of the world, what do you do on Christmas morning? It's the coming of Jesus. We should come together and celebrate, don't you think? Um, Well, I, I'm saying that, the, but you're here. What about all those people who aren't? But, uh, but I'm so glad that, that you have come. And this, this Christmas, of course, I've been thinking a lot about family. And I'll just have to tell you the serious part. I've been thinking so much about my, my father uh, this month. Some of you remember, remember two years ago, he became so sick. So at Christmas season, I kept going back and forth. Two years ago, uh, New Year's Eve, he passed away. I really love my dad. I found a picture of him online. I couldn't believe that you could find this. This was the last year of his life. Must have been taken at the home where he was staying. He was still directing a choir at the very end. Um, my dad uh, came to faith a bit later on in his life. He was in his 30s. Uh, I, I think he, he had been a professional big band musician. He was a sax and a clarinet player. And uh, so he was always out playing gigs. And he'd also been a military man. So he, he was in World War II, in the old Army Air Corps. Um, I often had the impression, as his son, that my father had had a lot of things in his life, uh, all the way up through that period, uh, that he regretted very much. I think he, he realized that there were a lot of things that fall, fell far short of what God would have had him to have been. Because when he got into his 30s, um, he began a search for God. Um, and, and he was writing to all these different groups. When, when a colleague at work led my father uh, to the Lord, led him to faith, and it changed his life. I think the thing that hit my dad was that he realized all the, the junk that had been in his life before, and apparently very serious things, though. He didn't tell his son all those things. He seemed more willing to tell Brandon than he would tell me. But I think when he heard about Jesus, he was shocked. I think he was shocked by the mercy and the grace of God. When he heard that, that God knew everything about him but loved him anyway, and that what God did for him in the sending of Jesus to give his life was sufficient for everything in his life, that God was willing to just take everything and say, all that's gone, we're going to start again. I'll tell you, if, if you had met my dad, and some of you did when he came to visit here, us here my first uh, eight years, everybody who knew him, Christian and non-Christian alike, the thing that they knew about my dad is that he was a grateful man. He, he just always, he never seemed to lose it. This thrill that God would love him so much. And the thing that my dad loved the most was anytime anybody talked about what we call the gospel. Anytime somebody just talked about this, that God loves us so much that he sent his son, that he gave his life, that we can't earn it ourselves, but God says, there's a way I'm going to make it possible for you to be mine, and we're going to start, and, and we're going to do this until you are complete in Christ. He loved that. He, you just felt it was like a little kid. He would have so much joy. Um, did I show you the picture of my father? I did show you. Oh, you got to pop that up here if you, you can find it. The one I found online, is it up there yet? For my grandkids, that called him Gramps, right? I called him my dad. Um, my dad would have loved the words I want to say to you this morning. It has to be the, the simplest Christmas message ever preached. One verse not usually used on Christmas, but I'm telling you, it is a Christmas verse. 
written by the Apostle Paul, and I think my father could relate to the way that I see the Apostle Paul feeling. Near the end of Paul's life, here's what he said. Here is a trustworthy saying, and it is one that deserves full acceptance. So you hear he's kind of pounding on the pole. He said, this is something for everybody. You need to grab hold of it. And here it is. Christmas first for this year. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, keep that verse up here. Do you see that there are two characters in it? I said, one is named, the other one is implied. Uh, one of them, I say, is, is a man on a mission, and the other one is a man with testimony. So I'm going to just follow that just for a few moments. So I'll call it a man-child on a mission, and that's there in verse 15, because I want you to think first about this phrase. Jesus Christ came into this world. Um, now, that's an unusual way of talking about entering into the world. We don't usually talk about that. When Alita and, and, and Matt came up here with their little ones, they, they didn't talk about, well, they came into the world. We talk about coming into this world as more being born, being brought into this world. And you English majors, you know those are passive verbs. Somebody else is doing that for us. Because it wasn't that any of us went up to our mom and dads before we were born and said, I think it's about time for me to come to life. I have something I want to do. No. It's something that happens. Others make the choice. And yet the Apostle Paul, when he writes about Jesus, came. he spoke about Jesus coming being different. It's as if Jesus coming in this world was a journey that Jesus had actually decided to make. Are you with me here? He said Christ Jesus came. He intentionally came. And I'll tell you, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wanted us to see, that the birth of Jesus was different. It wasn't just an accident. It wasn't just something his parents had chosen. No, it was something planned. And when you read the New Testament, though it's mind-boggling, Jesus was a part of the planning of his own being born. Before he was even born, he was a part of this thing saying, someday I am going to come. Now, it wasn't just something that, that the writer said. Jesus said this personally. I came here for a reason. So I want you to imagine for just a moment Go to the end of Jesus' life when he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he had a few of his disciples with him, hearing him praying. And this is what he prayed. He looked toward heaven and prayed, "Uh, Father, John 17, 1 to 4, you granted your son authority over all people for this purpose so that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And this is eternal life That people know you, God. That's how they come to life. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I have brought glory on earth by finishing that work, that purpose that you gave me to do. Now, can you imagine if you came up into one of the uh, pastor's meetings some day, and Pastor Jeff was leading, he said, Pastor Greg, pray for a minute. And I I prayed that. You'd say, our senior pastor has lost his mind. Lord, you've given me authority over everything over this life, and it's through me that everybody has eternal life. But that's what Jesus prayed. And the thing I want you to see is when Jesus came, he was a man on a mission. He was a part of planning that mission before he came. 
He lived every moment of his life in light of that mission. Katie, when you go on a mission, you're going to live every moment of your life, I pray, in light of that mission that God has given you. Jesus came for a purpose, and what was it? This is why, 1 Timothy 1.15, and I hope you're going to, this is a great Christmas text, is such a great text for today, because we find out why he came, straightforward way. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Okay, so many people have these strange ideas about why Jesus came. Well, even if I don't pick some of the strange ones, some of them are inadequate. Like some people say, well, Jesus came really, and people who appreciate him and see him, how he lived, they say he came to show us how to live and to show us how to love, and Jesus surely did that. But that's not the only reason why he came. And some people say, and some scholars say, well, Jesus came to show us what God is like. And he really did that. (laughs) He would, in fact, near the end of his life, say to one of his disciples, Philip, Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So, So he did that, but that's not all that he did. He came here on a mission. It was a rescue effort. The real reason why Jesus came is summarized this way. He came to save sinners. And Jesus himself would say this, Zacchaeus, a man who had been ripping people off his whole life, this this tax collector, experienced the opportunity of being a recipient of this, and Jesus turned to him in in, in Luke 19.10, and this is what he said, Zacchaeus, I have come to seek and to save, to rescue people who are lost, like you, Zacchaeus. And he would say, before he would go into Jerusalem to die for us, I have come for this reason, he'd say to his disciples, to give my life as a ransom for the lost people, for the many. I've come to save. Now, here's the humbling part. Do you think you need to be saved? Um, Well, I got one. I got one. Nobody really likes to talk to the pastor on Sunday mornings when there's so many hundreds of people here, but... It's really a humbling thing to think we need to be saved. And that word is also not a real popular word in our day. Saved is sort of that religious term. So sometimes you'll hear me when I preach use the word rescue. In fact, the very name Jesus really means God to the rescue. And the angels would just say, listen, uh, when this baby is born, what you're going to be seeing in this baby is it, it is God to the rescue. So does that raise a question for you? What do you and I need to be rescued from? I mean, what's the point here? Well, the point is that God knows that you and I are in danger on our own. There's no, you don't, there's there's no rescue if you're not in danger. So you and I must be in danger. Even if God loves us, what's the point of saying he's come to rescue us unless we're already in danger? So Jesus Christ came to rescue us because we're in danger. In danger of what? All right, here, here's the humbling part. Even for me as a, even. Maybe especially for me as a pastor. It's because we're in trouble because our lives are not what God would have them to be. On our own, a- anybody be a witness to that? Yes. On our own, we try, we try. I mean, nobody gets up and says, I want to mess up my whole life. And yet all the time with our words and thoughts, we, we walk away. We all know that there are things in our lives that are not wrong, that are not right. And those things separate us from God. And God is a perfect 
God and he says, whenever we get upset and we look out here in the world and we see things that really make us angry, people doing things wrong, people shooting people who shouldn't be shot inside of us, don't we say, that has to be punished. Evil has to be punished. And God says to us, yes, I know, I will do it. This is going to be a moral world. But do you see the tension in all of this? God turns to you and me and he says, I love you. And yet we've all engaged in that, that, those things that are wrong. So, so how is God going to do this? How is he going to punish evil when I have done it and you have done it? And yet he's going to show his love to us and rescue us. How is he going to do that? And that's why Jesus came. Do you see? That's what Christmas is all about. God had had a plan always to know how to do this. He was going to come, Jesus Christ was going to come and live that life that we could not live, that we've tried to live, but we fall short of it and say, I'm going to find a way to do, to take your pain and your punishment upon myself and offer you forgiveness and a new life. That's why Jesus came. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Isn't that a great Christmas verse? Which brings me uh, to the second part, the, the person, the man with the testimony. Because what we have in that little verse is the Apostle Paul is letting us know this is what that looks like when you get to be rescued. He wanted us to know that when the angel t- turned to Joseph and Mary and said, you're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save people from sins, that that wasn't just religious talk, it was real. Uh, and Paul would say, Listen, throughout history, there are going to be many people who are going to be rescued, but I want you to know right now, I'm one of them. I know I need to be rescued. In fact, as I look at myself, you see what Paul said, if you want to find out who really messed up, I'm the worst, but he rescued me anyway. Before I'm done, I've just got to, if you had met Paul before he met Jesus, you would have thought no way that he's the worst because he looked so upright. He kind of looked like a, a pastor type. I don't know if he'd wear a red vest on a Sunday morning, but I mean, he, he looked like people in the, in the neighborhood would say, this is an upright guy because he was well-educated, best educated man in his society. He was a part of the Pharisees. They, they, those people were known for trying to keep all the rules. They, they were known for that. If you would have looked at him, the whole city would have said, he's a good person to be here in our city. But the Apostle Paul knew there was something more inside of him. And I have found that I've lived long enough now to know this, that the people who try to always look the best on the outside, we all know that there's stuff on the inside that needs to be washed clean, right? All of us do. And Paul knew it. He tried to cover it up his whole life. He tried to pretend that others were worse than he was for his whole life. In fact, there was one thing after he came to know Christ that he couldn't get off of his mind. He had been a person who had gone out and personally was trying to kill Christians. Do you remember that story? In fact, it was on his way to Damascus trying to kill these Christians that his eyes were opened. It was a shocking experience as Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and he was blinded. And, and, and Paul, in, in, in having Jesus meet him, said, Who are you? And do you remember what Jesus said? He said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And Paul said, no, I'm not persecuting you, Jesus. I mean, I, I don't agree with you, but you're okay. It's these people who follow you I don't like. And Jesus said, same thing. Because when you see any human being, when you see them especially, you see people made in my image, people for whom I died, when people believe in me, 
They are in me and I am in them. When you persecute them, you persecute me. Paul, they're not the problem. And church people, don't we so many times try to do that? We look outside of ourselves. We say all those people out there in church, not in church, uh, we're okay, they're not. That's the way Paul was. And Jesus had to say, Paul, they might have problems and they do. But the problem right now is you. You need to be rescued. And Paul accepted that and owned it for the rest of his life. And this is why I think I was thinking about my dad when I thought about this text. For the rest of his life, he could never believe that God knew everything about him, yet loved him anyway, that Jesus had come. And even though he was persecuting the followers of Jesus, that Jesus loved him anyway. And so for the rest of his life, he said, I want to tell you something. This is true. If you want to find anything worthy of building your life upon, this is the saying that you've got to grab hold of. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. Therefore, if I can be rescued, there is hope for you. (laughs) And when you leave church today, there is hope for anybody. Do you believe that? Do you know what a church should be like? It should be like a lot of things. But one of the things I think it should be a little bit like is an AA meeting. Can you believe I'm saying that? (laughs) An alcoholic anonymous meeting. You know what happens in those? Uh, Somebody stands up and he says, uh, my name is Paul and I am a sinner. Okay, my name is Greg. (laughs) We got to have Sunday morning groups every week. You're the first ones to ever respond to me when I ask you to do so. (laughs) My name is Greg and I am a sinner. I confess it. I've got to tell you I'm the worst, but I've got to tell you this too. I am a saved sinner because Jesus came to this world to save sinners and because he saved me. And I tell you today on this Christmas Sunday morning, that's my testimony to you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's, I'm your pastor, but I am a sinner saved because Jesus came on a mission to save people like me and like you. You and I were his mission. Have you ever thought about that? You and I were his mission. He was willing to do all of this for us. So I'll tell you on this Christmas 2016, that's why the Christ child came. He came on a mission so that you and I can have a testimony like Paul. A testimony to the world. So I'll just end with his very words. Here, I'm telling you, is a trustworthy saying. This is a saying worthy of acceptance by all to base our lives upon. Jesus Christ came into this world to rescue sinners. I am the worst. I know it's true. There is hope for me, so there is hope for you. And when you leave this place, the message of Christmas is that there is hope for anyone in this world because he came to rescue us. Therefore, there is the possibility of peace on earth, goodwill to all human beings. And it will be to his glory.